But before we get to that, uh, I am back. It's been a few weeks. Uh, I am really glad to be back. For a few weeks, I got to go to other churches, which were wonderful churches. They were terrific. I really loved being there and visiting and doing a little corporate espionage for 6-8. But um, I, you know, it, I really I did go to those churches and thought to myself, man, I'm really grateful for you guys. Grateful for our worship, grateful for our prayer ministry, grateful for you guys just as congregants and, and everything else. It was beautiful. Uh, I did not, I, I only went 180 miles as you heard from TJ Folks, uh, Folks last week. The jerk was like making fun of me. But um, I listened to his sermon. He was funny, wasn't he? He was a good guy. Um, but I, I did 180 miles. I had these huge blisters on the like sort of the balls of my feet right here on both feet. My feet were swelled up in the middle of the day and I just couldn't walk anymore. So instead of like camping out in the woods for a week and then hitchhiking 100 or 200 miles ahead of myself, I figured I'll just come back and do the rest of the trail some other time. So I did come back, went to the shore. That was cool. Um, it's like perfect timing. Got back and my family was going to the shore. I'm like, well, I'm just tagging along. And then um, Kim and I went to the lake house for a few days this week and that was, that was fun. So... Um, Got a tattoo, salt and light baby, Matthew 5. Mm-mm-mm. Anyway, um, so I'm here and I'm really glad to be back. And as we head into the fall and all that kind of stuff, um, I, I, thank you, I, Ivory, for reading. That was supposed to be Isaiah 58, 1 through 10, but, you know, it was, it was relevant anyway. <laughs> Actually, I do reference Isaiah 53, but I won't read Isaiah 58 because uh, we have a lot to go through today. Um, but actually, I sit there, and as soon as you started reading, I'm like, oh, actually, this makes sense. So it was good to hear that passage. It's a beautiful passage. So um, anyway, Billy Joel, you know, we didn't start the fire. Maybe Billy Joel, as a good Jewish boy, never read his Torah, because uh, in it, God does claim that we did start the fire, right? We did start it. In turning our backs on God... We birthed sin into this world, and we have not really, as, a, as humanity, as a whole thing, have really not fought against it, as he claims that we have. But the world seems to continually feed into this fire, feed into this sin. You know, um, in the book of Micah we're going to look at today, God claims the same as he does in Isaiah 58 and other passages as well, that his people had not been following his heart. Rather, they had only been feeding into their sin. Right? So as we look at Micah today, the setting is the second half of the 8th century. Uh, after the death of Solomon in 922 B.C., uh, there is, uh, this, this is the break, after the breakup of the, of the kingdom, the single nation of Israel. So we have Israel and Judah who had enjoyed, at this moment, uh, immense prosperity uh, during this period. They just had, had really amassed wealth and things like that. Both kingdoms, Israel in the north and, uh, and Judah in the south. And uh, you remember the promised land, if you know your Bible history, the promised land had been allotted to the 12 tribes of Israel uh, before this by God um, in Numbers 22 and Leviticus 25. Uh, all that land, all that stuff was given in trust. They were to be stewards of all this stuff, stewards of... Hi, Pearl. How are you? Um, um, <laughs> good to see you. <laughs> friend um anyway but they had specific instructions uh on on the year of jubilee right and 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 that was for all the land to to 
return to the original owners after 50 years, for all debts to be wiped clean, and for caring for the poor and all this stuff. So, so they, the owners of land were actually called to care for and to make special provision for the poor and for the widow and for the helpless and for the orphan and for the slave and the foreigner. They were to be caring people that took care of their community to live out of the heart of God. Right? To be concerned with justice and welfare of others. Uh, His people were supposed to be His agents of His heart. People who lived out His heart, His concern in the world. Jesus claimed the same thing in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. And He modeled this kind of life to us as He walked around and did His ministry. And as Micah preached to Judah... Uh, looking at surrounding, the surrounding verses of Micah 6.8, which is the, the signature verse of this church, we're named 6.8 after that verse, we can see the issues. Now the funny thing is that Micah 6.8 is always regarded as this fuzzy, sort of heartwarming verse, and we'll read it later, um, but it's couched in a message of reprimand, in, a, in a, almost a message of judgment against Israel and against Judah. Given that, firstly, that there was this increasing callousness, this just deep callousness, callousness among those that were wealthier in uh, the nation of Israel. Chapter 2, woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds, like you're sitting on your bed at night thinking about how you're going get to get over on people. At morning's light, they carry it out because it is in their power to do it. These are people that are not being responsible with their power. They're using it to get over on others, right? They, they covet fields and they seize them. And houses and they take them. And they defraud a man of his home and a fellow man of his inheritance. So they're taking away real estate and, and, and bringing people into poverty. They, secondly, they had become involved in corruption. Chapter three, 3, it says, Then I said, Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, should you not know justice, you who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones into pieces and chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. Because when you are defrauded, when you're lied to, when, when an injustice is done upon you, it feels like somebody's ripping your skin off. It's so hard to deal with, isn't it? He continues in verse 9, Hear this, you leaders of the house of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they lean upon the Lord and they say, Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. So this callousness and this corruption in the nation of Israel, was hidden behind this veneer of religion. They thought they were okay just because they who they were. And eventually, there was this blatant disregard for God's laws. Chapter 6, it says, I am, am I still to forget, O wicked house, your ill-gotten treasures and the short ephah, which is accursed. An ephah is a, me- a, a, a measurement, right? Shall I acquit a man with dishonest scales? with a bag of false weights. So in their business dealings, they're using false weights to get over on people and 
and not give them as much as they should be giving them and all that kind of stuff. Her people are liars. Her rich men are violent, it says. Her people are liars and their tongues speak deceitfully. This is talking about their character, how they live their lives. And so they had compartmentalized their religious beliefs from everyday life. Synagogue was synagogue, but man, business is business, you know? So they believed at this moment that they could buy God's favor with a sacrifice. Chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. With what shall I come before the Lord? And this is in the sarcastic voice, right? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? So their lives basically had become a business contract with God rather than this like enlivened, passionate, spiritual covenant with Him. This wonderful relationship. So we have Micah and Isaiah in the south along with Amos and Hosea. If you ever, if you ever read Hosea, that's an interesting book. Four prophets at the same time calling people back to spiritual covenant. To God-given purpose in their life. For their outward actions, their outward life, their business dealings, their family dealings, their friendships, how they, how they acted and, and operated in life, for all of that to match what is supposed to be a divinely governed heart. <laughs> That's exactly what our spiritual formation series was talking about that we ended a few weeks ago. So this sermon is sort of like a reminder of all that we've been learning for months now, right? Maybe we don't view ourselves that bad as in comparison to them. You know, maybe we're just not, we, don't re- we read that and we don't think, oh, we don't do all that, right? But have you ever felt like you trust in your money more than you do Jesus? Is it hard for you to give to financial need is is tithing a struggle <laughs> you just don't want to do it right have you ever sold a car or a house without telling the full truth about what's what's wrong with it have you ever cut corners in a business deal do you ever ask the question what do the scriptures say about this decision do the scriptures inform your decisions does your God only live at 6-8 between 9.30 and 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Do you ever get yourself into trouble and try to cut a deal with God in prayer? Well, if you do this for me, I'll, I'll straighten up. Have you ever lied to make yourself look good at the expense of somebody else? Have you ever withheld care from someone or love from someone just because you don't like them? Have you ever gossiped? Do you claim concern for the poor or concern for race relations in this company or country, and, but you would never live among others different than you because of fear for, of your own safety? See, it does, it does all come down to our hearts. It comes down to our hearts. It's a matter of trust in the Lord. It's a matter of living out what He is or who He is. And sometimes we guard our own lives at the expense of others, don't we? 
And God, at this moment, with Israel, with Judah, God was fed up with their hard-heartedness, their selfish disregard, and their oppression of others. He was fed up. Israel had forgotten who God was and what He had done for them. Yet they wonder why life really had no joy, why they always felt sort of empty, why, why their purses were never felt, felt filled, right? They were outwardly religious with their hearts very far from God. They were mistakenly thinking that God is pleased with surface religiosity and they can live however they please in the world. And Hosea, Micah's contemporary, is preaching God's Word to Israel in the north and he's saying this. He's in, the, in the voice of God, he's saying, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. An acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Like all of that ritualistic stuff doesn't really matter to me if your heart is far from me. Jesus repeated that verse in Matthew 9.13, by the way, right? So he reteaches this stuff. And Micah tells us very plainly in, in 6.8, he says, He has showed you, O man, this is our signature verse, He has showed you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? Question mark. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what he requires. So Billy Joel asks, After we're gone, will it still burn on and on and on? Missing the hope in God's story of humanity and Himself. It won't burn on. Christ has brought us hope. But ho- and hope, remember, the hope doesn't originate from humankind. It doesn't originate from my feeble efforts to fight against all the fire in the world, just doing it on my own without God, on, you know, without uh, walking in the light of Christ. It, it doesn't come, uh, the hope isn't found in winning fights. It's not found in wars and getting over on people either. We can't fight this ourselves. This is a divine battle. This is a spiritual battle that we live in. Hope is found, as Micah said in 7.7, he says, but as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me, even when it feels like He's not. See, our hope isn't in our own efforts. Our hope isn't in the sword. It It isn't in some great crusade out there. Rather, it is in a humble submission to God, myself, me, with along with you. It's acting justly. It's loving mercy. It's walking humbly with God in all ways. Becoming a people who reflect God's heart, reflect God's character to the world. That's where where it's found, right? This hope started way back in Genesis and it will continue to the very end of time. That is our hope. Billy Joel's words Good guy, great guy, right? But he factors out the hope in humanity's relationship to God. We can't love mercy. We can't act justly in the truest of forms without actually walking humbly with God. It's an impossibility. And those of us 
who say that we follow Jesus, those of us who claim Christ over our lives, and those of us who have Jesus in that kind of a relationship with Him, have the knowledge and have the power and have that something in us to see the, the kingdom of God manifest now in the world and in our relationships. We make a difference. We are salt and light. That's why I got that too. Works, right? Brings up conversation. Why is it so important that we're in good relationship with other people uh, when we come to the Lord's table? That we're concerned about justice and goodness when we come to the Lord's table. Why? Isn't that moment just between me and you, me and Jesus, right? No, not at all. It's a dinner. It's a dinner. It's a meal. It's a communal meal. It's something that we do together. Micah 6 and Isaiah 58 are born out of the heart of God. The larger picture of us in relationship with God and with each other. A larger picture that we've seen, we see in four stages in history. What it was supposed to be like. Creation. That wonderful Garden of Eden. And all that beauty as, as they lived in that. What it's like now. The fall. The, the fall of mankind into sin. That fire that Billy Joel talks about. And then what it can be. Redemption in Christ. And then what it will be, restoration of all things, which we just sung about in that last song, I think it was. So what it was supposed to be, creation, you know, it's a story that is worth retelling over and over and over again. We do well to remember our origins and to see the big picture of life. To go back and remember, you know, what it was like or what happened. The Scriptures start out with a statement, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, which tells us that everything, where everything originates from, God the source. It tells us who's in control, God the judge. It tells us where life comes from, God the creator. I mean, backpacking out there for all those miles, it's just beautiful. Ran into a giant bear with a Bear cub, it was cool. Giant moose right next to me pops up out of the grass with huge antlers. And then his, his little lady friend pops up on my left. And I'm the sandwich between these two. What? I mean, your heart jumps in your throat. But it's such a beautiful experience. Creation. Creation is wonderful. Wonderful. And we're the pinnacle of it. And finally, four, who sets the rules? God the boss. Humankind made in His image to reflect His character and His heart to the rest of the world, right? Enjoying Him in relationship, having abundant life, dependent on and existing in Him. And we saw that in the Garden of Eden. He has control over things, all things. He gave us control over ourselves. Self-control is actually a fruit of the Spirit. And as they sat in that garden, they lived their lives in that garden, they listened and they followed, they experienced life to the fullest in in God. The fullest. Total freedom. No shame. Just intimacy with God, intimacy with each other. He'd walk in the garden, they'd enjoy Him, and they'd enjoy each other. And you remember, it wasn't good for man to be alone. So He made woman from the rib rib of a man. 
He's the, this shared DNA, this, you know, he's, she's close to his heart. It's, it, it's imaging intimacy and relationship between a man and a woman, naked, no shame, right? Enjoying each other, no, no nagging, no backhanding, no harsh words, no selfishness. Beautiful relationship, right? God's intention from the very beginning that we would have intimacy with Him and that we would have intimacy with each other in relationships which are marked by fidelity, faithfulness. And it's this original intention which makes the Lord's table and our personal relationships so important. God wants to restore relationship with Him but also relationships in community. And Jesus reminds them of this as reflected when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? It says, hear, O Israel, this is the Shema of Israel, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord, God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Original intention, love God, love others, right? Love God, love others. So as you come into Jesus, you come into a faith community. That's the local church. You come into the local church here, right? Not just the global church, but in reality, the physical bodies next to you are much more important to think about than the global church. Because this is where you operate. This is where you live. And in those relationships, roles are defined, what to do, what not to do. Who's the source, the boss, the judge? Who's in control, who's not? Who's dependent on whom and who's in control of what? God in control of everything out there. Us with our own self-control for the betterment of the community. So when we ask who started the fire, we have to go back to the fall. What's, what's it like now? And we could blame all of that on Satan. Well, if he never you know, bugged us, he never asked the question, we'd be okay. But we chose to turn our backs. We chose to listen. We chose to become, to choose to become our own gods ourselves, right? Adam's shame caused him, as a result of that, to go hide from God. You remember Genesis 3.10, he says, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, and I was naked, and I was ashamed, and so I went and hid. It's the first time he ever hid from the Lord. He didn't feel that need before. His shame caused him to do that. And in becoming independent from God, we were lost that relationship with Him. We lost that relationship with each other. That's what death is. When, when God talks about death in the Scriptures, when God said they'd die, He meant that they would be separate from Him who is life. Their intimacy and vulnerability had been lost and their ability to trust each other and have good relationship was also lost. And from that point on, we see humans trading trust and fairness, love and honesty with each other for alienation and unfairness and adversarial relationships and dishonesty and things like that. Love became much harder to find and sustain as a result of the fall. We desire to control things we couldn't control, including each other, and we lost control of ourselves. We tried to become the judge, and we ended up being judgmental instead. We lost our ability to experience life and each other by exercising the very judgment that we desired. So now we do have 
Ho Chi Minh and Syria and North Korea and Iraq and Afghanistan and sex trafficking and slavery and broken relationships and church and home and work and things like that. Relationships are hard. They're hard as a result of the fall. We started that fire. And we fan the flames when we don't act justly and when we don't love mercy and when we don't walk humbly with God and when we don't reflect Jesus. When we live out of our own shame, our own history, when we're backbiting and gossiping, when we don't ask questions and make statements without considering the other person sitting in front of us, living out of the false notion we can control another and in our pride we hurt each other and it destroys relationships. And that's what it's like now. That's what we're up against. And we say and we think that we can live how we please. We can just do whatever we want and say whatever we want, not having to check our heart against God's. But that's not the case. And Billy is wrong. There is hope. Hope and redemption, right? What it can be. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6 tell us that God laid all His misery. And that's what... what, uh, Ivory read for us, God laid all this misery and all this sin upon Jesus' shoulders. All of that garbage He laid upon Jesus. So in Jesus, redemption is possible. It is possible. And I'm not just talking about being saved. I'm talking about constant redemption, constant change, constant renewal, right? Things can be brought back to the original intention of God. As our shame drove us before in Genesis 3.10 to hide from God, we're now hidden in Christ away from our shame. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. Instead of running from God, we actually run to God in Christ now. So we return to God as the source, the judge, the creator, the sustainer, and the boss, and we find out that He loves us. And it says in Matthew 6.33, when we seek first His kingdom, all these wonderful things will be added to us as well. But if we don't seek it, we find emptiness. So in grace, we realize our need. And from that position, that humility, we, we, we acknowledge Him. We give up control of self and others and we take back again the ability to be self-controlled and to find joy. Reconciled to God, reconciled to each other. The redemption found in the sacrifice of Jesus reverses the effects of the fall with its alienation and its isolation from God and each other. Enabling us with work at this period in history to be rightly related to each other. We stop making our own rules and we start playing by His. Which actually bring freedom instead of condemnation and bondage. This means acknowledging dependence on Him in every circumstance, every part of life. In grace, we find a new relationship with God and and the richness of His Word and the power of His Spirit and the fellowship of faith with others. That all sounds wonderful. Try it. (laughs) See how easy it is. It's not easy. That's why we call it spiritual battle. Right? What it can be. That's why we call it what it can be. Because we see it in little glimpses now. 
but we don't see it fully realized. We still battle our sin, our own personal sin nature, in a very sinful world. Even when we're doing well and I'm walking with Jesus really strongly, we, lo- we live in a community where somebody else may not be. And that, be- that creates issues. It's difficult sometimes. Sometimes it's wonderful, but sometimes it's difficult. But it is possible to experience it now in relationship with each other and in community. God's still not done, by the way. We're still waiting for what it will be, right? When all things are fully restored under the rule of God, that is our hope, right? Something that we can't even imagine. You ever try to imagine heaven? You can't imagine it. You can't imagine it. We are so jaded by the fights and the pride and the evil as if hope is just totally wrung out of the world, right? But it's not. It's there and it can be experienced now, the kingdom of God on, heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. If we can stop the fighting and stop the jockeying for position and the competition and the judgment and the control, if we can actually choose to love others and bear with others and forgive others and care for others to practice self-control and not feed in to our laziness and our lust right to trust to actually trust the lord learn learning as we go to 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 ask understanding questions right we can experience the kingdom here and now more and more fully if we can walk this out. Humbly going to God with our hearts, asking, where am I not trusting you? Where am I not acting justly? Where am I being unmerciful? Where am I being prideful or distrustful of others? Micah 6.8 is God's heart. It's not the only verse that is God's heart, but it is God's heart to walk humbly with Him and restore relationships along the way. Blessing not cursing, freeing the prisoner and the slave, not imprisoning them, being just, being good, and not exerting control over others. But that's work that many of us do not want to do. It's frightening, scary work. It's giving up our perceived rights. It's it's giving up our false control over others. It's making kingdom choices about life that really make a difference. And the question is, will we pursue life for ourselves or life for God and others? He has showed you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, or the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. They say the exact same thing. And it all starts right here. It all starts right here in my heart. Cultivating a listening ear which will go far in our walk with Jesus and our walk with each other. In listening to God's Word and listening to the Holy Spirit, our thoughts and actions will be changed. Our lives will be changed. It's not just fire insurance. Listening well, we trust God and, we, and, and each other, which means asking good questions of God, firstly, right? 
you know, do you give God the, the, the opportunity to speak to you through His Word every single day? Do you have a quiet time? Do you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart and convict you through prayerful moments, right, throughout your day? Do you ask what He wants or where He wants to lead you or what He's calling you to? Do you, do you, do you ask where you're not trusting Him or, or, or where you're being prideful? Do you communicate with the Lord? Do you listen and not just pontificate to Him? And likewise, do we listen to others instead of assuming a sinister intention from them to understand their heart? Asking good questions of understanding of people around us, right? What did you mean when you just said that? Did you mean to sound hurtful or distrustful? Or am I hearing you wrong? What can I do to make this situation better? Can you help me to understand what you're saying to me? Because I'm not sure I do. How have I hurt you? And how do you see us reconciling this relationship? Now, two caveats to working with other people in this way. Firstly, the closer we are with people, the harder it becomes. Right? The closer we are with people, the harder it becomes because we tend to draw on past hurts. What we have to do as believers is trust the Lord that He can work in that relationship. And we have to look at all those past hurts and we have to take those to the cross and let them be crucified there on the cross. Let them be crucified and come at a relationship fresh. Seeing it with new eyes. Secondly, there are some people in this world that we will come up against who are so given over to their sinful pride, who are so embroiled in emotion, so damaged in their souls, that no reasonable conversation will work. I just, I'm reading G.K. Chesterton Orthodoxy right now, and he has this whole chapter on trying to, trying to communicate with a madman. And he said the madman actually does not lose his reason. Actually, the madman is all about reason. For every little thing in the world has a reason behind it for the madman. He doesn't do anything just for fun. Everything is directed towards him and about him and, and against him. And you can't argue that. Because perception is reality for him. Right? So and there are some people like that. You just can't get past it. And that is where you maybe need to make some separation or some boundaries. Or you, meet, you, you need to work with the Lord and, and pray that there's a spiritual breakthrough. You need to walk out in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And those are difficult times. Do we ask questions of ourselves? Right? How do, why does this upset me so much? Right? Why, you know, why do I feel the need to control this person or this situation? What am I so afraid of in this relationship? What, why am I being so prideful? Or am I being prideful? Right? Why do I feel the need to fill my life with something damaging? And, and am I avoiding the things that God wants me to do? Or the ministry that God's called me to? If our hearts are pursuant of God, He will lead us strongly. If our efforts towards reconciliation and justice don't come out of a heart changed by God's restorative power, it'll only be angry, fake religiosity and morality. And we'll be trying to buy God with our sacrifice. But in desiring and practicing, living out of the heart of God, we see the kingdom of God blossom all around us. Not that it's always easy, but it does happen. 
So maybe we need to re- reword Micah 6, 6-7 through 7 to our own situation. It says this now. It says, What shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for my soul? You know, Lindley, Mike Thomas, would you, you know, consider giving up Lucy? For you know what I mean, like it, it's just that's crazy, right? <laughs> you know, I, I doubt you're going to go home to ten thousand uh, rivers of oil in your backyard, or you know, like calves a year old, or you know, whatever it is, thousands of rams. Maybe we should say this: With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before Him with two hours on a Sunday, with two percent of my salary? Will the Lord be pleased with worship songs, with earnest prayers to bless me? Shall I build a mega church for the fruit of my labor, uh, the fruit of my labor for the sin of my soul? Would those things really count? See, like Israel on the main line, especially we've we've experienced great affluence, and we've been clouded. We've compartmentalized our faith from everyday life. We've been judgmental. We've been moralistic at times. We've hidden behind our religion or we've hidden our faith from others so that we're not judged by them. (coughs) We've chosen to disregard the heart of God and to become our own gods in control of our own lives. Remember, there are sins of commission, right? Things that I intentionally do that I know are wrong. If I pull out a gun and I shoot somebody, I know that's a wrong thing to do. Right? If I go as a pastor if I, or as a Christian at all, if I go down to you know, the Philly and I find some strip joint and I go in and join my night in that place, I know that that's wrong. That's a sin of commission. I've done something wrong and it's easily pointed at. You can say, that was wrong, Jason. <coughs> but there are also sins of, com- of omission. Things that we choose not to do. Things that we don't even think about. Right? Did you not pray for that person when the Holy Spirit told you to because you were embarrassed? Do you have one foot in the faith community and one foot out? Is your, do you live a dichotomous life? If, my, if I look at your Facebook page, are you very different than what you are here on Sunday mornings? Do you reserve yourself do you hold back from people at church or from church life since you value your personal comfort more than the ministry that God is calling you to here? Is Jesus the God of every single little corner of your life, even your hurts and your pains and your past and everything else? Are you squandering your spiritual gifts and your opportunities that God has given you for the sake of your own comfort? And safety. It's the hardest thing for a pastor to watch people squandering their gifts. In myself as well, right? Walking humbly, loving mercy, acting justly, demand lifestyle change. It affects our choices and our priorities in life. Jesus overturns your world. He ruins your plans. Because priority goes to God in ministry, in community, with others, not just to self. It's not the American dream any longer. 
We were created to be in relationship with Him. All that we are and have belongs to Him. We are stewards of all of His life and resource that He's given us. His desire for us is to reflect Him in relationships, to act justly, to love mercy, to model His grace and love to each other and sacrifice for goodness and justice in the world. And I believe that this church, to the best of our abilities, is structured to practice these things in community, right? Community groups begin again this fall. I would urge all of you to get involved. It's important to to root in, not just to show up here on a Sunday morning. I mean, sometimes it takes time to get to know us. I get that, right? It's like house, you know, you're standing at the gate. You're like, I don't know if I want to go in there. You know, and you come and you see this pastor with dreadlocks and you're like, I don't know. He seems kind of crazy, looks kind of crazy. Then you come in, you're like, ah, you hear some words. You're like, oh, I kind of like that guy. You know, who wouldn't like me? Gosh, I mean, for goodness sakes, right? No, I'm just kidding. Um, that prideful pastor. Um, you know, and then, you, then you, you go through the front door and you sit in the front room and then you go into the living room and suddenly you're like opening the fridge on your own and taking out food for yourself. You know, you're becoming comfortable in community. Let community groups begin this fall. I would urge you to move towards... To towards becoming a part of one and really loving that, that, that life together. Uh, we're doing work in Lebanon and Syria with refugees, with Muslims. Muslims are coming to faith in Christ like crazy in the Middle East right now, and that is a blessing, and, and we, are, we are doing something about that, even as a smaller church, right? And we're doing things with our community partners. We're, we're, we're coming together in community groups, and each community group has a community partner out in this, this local community that we're, we're we're working with and we're, we're talking to. We have long-term relationships. We're praying for those things to start to pay off even more. Our ministries are thriving. This, this stinking worship ministry, for gosh sakes, we have to tell those guys, no, you can't take another person. You know, we need them over here. You know, like, just if the worship ministry is thriving, prayer ministry is thriving, children's ministry is thriving, we've got some decisions to make in the next three years. Right? God is blessing us. God is blessing us. We're adding to our spiritual tool bag. We're having meetings in the next few weeks with people that we're going we're gonna to see if we can add some other things to the church. So as we move forward, let's engage deeply. Let's get in the boat together, right? Taking hold of every opportunity that God affords us to see His kingdom come now on earth as is in, is in heaven. With our hearts and our actions more and more pregnant with the news of Jesus, the life of Jesus, as we progress in our own spiritual formation, overflowing His life to other people. Since it does matter, what we've said in in past months, it does matter that our thoughts and our feelings and our words and our bodies and our actions and our souls reflect the heart of God every little aspect and corner of our life, that we're living out of spiritual integrity, that all of our actions uh, are birthed from the heart and the character of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank You. Um, It's good to be back. I don't know if everybody else feels that way, but I feel good to be back. It's good to worship together with these people, with this church. It's good to hear these songs sung by these voices. It's good to see Jordan. It's good to see Mark. It's good to see Pete. It's good to see all these people in this room. These people that I've known. But you've known them. You've known me. 
from the very, even before time began, you had our names in your heart. We are part of this great, giant, big, huge, momentous, epic story of life. And we have our role. We are children of God. We are people of Jesus. We are people that have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. We are people that that own the Word of God. We are people that should reflect all this, and we are doing our best, and we ask that you would take us even deeper and farther into that life. That we would never lose the hope of what it can be and where it is going for the future restoration of all things when your heart governs everything in this world again. And we thank you for that. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.